0: Would you stand with me one more time, please, and let's, let's read this psalm together and then pray and ask the Lord's blessing on our study. It's always um, too easy to read a psalm that we know well, so let's read it and think about it as if we're reading it for the first time. Let's read this together. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is our desire this morning as we come to your word, and it is your desire I believe Your desire and Your will that You would reveal Yourself to us through this text. That You would cause us to see Your greatness, Your glory, and and Your love for us. May we see You as You are. High, exalted, powerful, eternal all-knowing, everywhere present, compassionate, gracious, merciful. Father, we think too little of You and too much of ourselves. And that is indeed our downfall and the cause of so many of our sins. May we have greater thoughts of You and rest in You and Your promises and Your provision In your presence, we pray that you would open our hearts to receive the truth, and may we be blessed by it so that we walk with joy and peace. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. This is the most well-known psalm in the Psalter, as you could certainly imagine. It's known by many people who are unbelievers as well. It's quoted at funerals. It's spoken at all different times. Maybe this psalm is the psalm that is most memorized by people. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have thought of the words of this psalm at some point in your, in your life? Maybe many, many, many times, more than you can count. This is a look at the shepherd from the sheep's perspective. It's a favorite, shepherd is a favorite analogy for God, a favorite of God himself that he portrays all throughout the Old Testament. Of course, we know King David is the author, and he was a shepherd before he became a king, as you certainly know. And therefore, the insight of this psalm is definitely present here on on the surface and maybe even more deep than we could imagine. He was a shepherd before he became a king. And he also experienced many situations in which he needed God to shepherd him. You know how the, song, the psalms go. You begin to read a psalm and you see the, the angst that fills David's heart. He begins to communicate through that psalm a, a challenge. Maybe he's afraid. Maybe he is has been betrayed. Maybe there is someone after him and his life is being threatened. You see David right of his daily circumstances throughout the Psalms. And what does he do continually as he comes to those, those times of, of trial and trouble and pressure in the Psalms? You see him, he, he pours out his heart before the Lord, but then he reminds himself who God is. That is David's continual pattern of ministering to himself. Throughout his life, David knew great needs, great anxieties, great fears, even depression, guilt, doubt, conflict, many other personal struggles. Each situation, he eventually turns to the shepherd of whom this psalm is written. And it's interesting, in this psalm, David doesn't present himself to his audience as... As the the giant slayer. He doesn't present himself even as the king. How does he present himself in this text? He's a sheep. He's a sheep of the great shepherd. That's what brought him great comfort and great contentment. And, And this is why I want us to meditate on Psalm 23 today, and I don't know how far we'll get. I'm pretty certain we won't get through all of it, so we'll continue it next week, but I want us to spend a few Sundays in a short series called Answering Anxiety. This is something that's been on my heart for quite a while, and I felt like last Sunday's message was a good springboard into it, and I was thinking about that, how so often we feel anxiety, like it says in verse 7 of 2 Timothy 1, we feel fear, uh, in the the opportunity that we may have to minister our own spiritual gifts. And so Paul says to Timothy, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. And so I want to take that opportunity to stay on the theme of answering anxiety and fear for a few more Sundays and address a need that is not only common to man common in my own life, common probably in your life, certainly in our church experience. And we, we know this. Um, in fact, the single most common exhortation throughout Scripture is what? Fear not. Did you know that? And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because we post-fall people made in the image of God we experience fears and anxieties maybe more than we struggle with anything else but before we begin to look at our text this morning let me introduce to you a little bit of the nature of fear and anxiety particularly coming from scripture what does how does scripture define anxiety and fear And you'll notice as we look at some of these definitions, with each of these words, both anxiety and fear, with each of these, you will observe in Scripture that there is both a righteous and a sinful definition described in Scripture for each of those words. First of all, anxiety. If you were to look at the word anxiety in a Greek lexicon, you would find something like this. Anxiety means and this would be the sinful definition. <clears throat> the, thing, the definition of the word that the Apostle Paul would say, be anxious for nothing. It would, he would define it like this, to be troubled, sorely troubled, upset, disturbed, dismayed, because of the cares of life. So that one is distracted from knowing and enjoying God, trusting in Him and doing His will. Let me read that again for you. and just want us to get those concepts in our mind. What is sinful anxiety? I I think we could define it like this. To be troubled, sorely troubled, upset, disturbed, dismayed because of the cares of, of earthly life so that one is distracted from knowing God and enjoying God, trusting in Him and doing His will. But there's also a righteous definition for anxiety and let me read that for you. And I'll show you some texts in just a moment that have both of those definitions. Righteous anxiety is to care for or look out for another, to seek another person's interests. I'm going to take care of that person so that the one is motivated to seek the Lord and His strength and His will, particularly with respect to meeting the needs of others. To care for or to look out for another person's interests so that one is motivated to seek the Lord and His strength and His will, particularly with respect to meeting the needs of others. Now, here's a few examples of texts that describe both of those definitions. First, and you don't have to turn there, you can just jot these down and we'll look at some of these texts in the next few weeks as well. Matthew 6, where Jesus says, Don't be anxious for your life, what you will eat or drink. That would be an example of sinful anxiety. Where, where people would be groveling, as it were, for earthly resources and upset about them and troubled about them and, and overwhelmed by the cares of this life and they forget, as a believer, who their Father is and what He means to do for them in Christ. So Matthew 6 would be an example of sinful anxiety. Even Matthew 10.19, uh, Mark 13.11 Luke 12, 11, and 22, what, what are those verses about? Those verses are when Jesus sent out His disciples. And He sent them out in the world and He says, don't be anxious when you are dragged before judges and they ask you. It will be given you in that day what you are to say. So Jesus, again, there commands His disciples, don't be anxious about that. The Spirit of God will be with you. I will be with you and teach you what to say. 1 Peter 5.7 would be an example of sinful anxiety. Cast all your anxieties on him. Philippians 4, six would be another one. And we're going to look at these texts. There's a text that I found that, that if you can look up all the, the references where anxiety is used and find these texts. This is a text I'm not sure. It could go either way. 1 Corinthians 7, 32, 33, and 34, where the Apostle Paul says, I don't want you to be anxious about anything, but he says a single person is anxious about the things of the Lord. A married person is anxious about the things of their spouse. So there's a kind of a double usage there, or maybe it could go either way. But here are some examples of righteous anxiety. For one is 2 Corinthians 11, verse 28. Where the Apostle Paul says, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. The Apostle Paul sought to care spiritually for the churches. Or First Corinthians, and this is a very. These are all similar usages. First Corinthians, chapter twelve, verse twenty-five. If one member suffers, let's see, verse twenty-five, that there may be. This is, this is the chapter that speaks of the Spirit of God granting spiritual gifts to each member of the body of Christ for the mutual edification of the church. Verse 25 says that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. That word care is the same word anxiety that Jesus uses in Matthew 6 and says don't be anxious about anything. Another example of this righteous use of of anxiety or this word anxious is Philippians. And this will be the last one we look at just to give you an idea. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 20, the Apostle Paul, and we looked at this text recently, Philippians 2 and verse 20, the Apostle Paul describes Timothy and he says, for I have no one like him who will be, what, genuinely concerned for your welfare. So you get the idea. Sometimes anxiety can be a sinful thing when we forget the Lord and we we cease trusting Him and we're disturbed and troubled about the cares of this life, the word anxiety can be a positive thing when we, when we take one another's interests into our own care and we seek the Lord and trust Him in order to meet one another's needs. Now, let's, let's look for a moment at the word fear. There is a difference between anxiety and fear. Fear is, is much more intense than anxiety, though I think In some ways, anxiety would precede fear along a spectrum, if you will. Fear. The definition that I would find in a Greek lexicon would be this terror, dread, so as to flee from something. But it could also mean reverence, respect, amazement, even awe. Okay, now here's the difference between anxiety and fear with its definition, and whether you know whether it's sinful or righteous, the difference with fear is its object. The way you can tell the difference between sinful and righteous fear is simply by identifying the object of fear. That's the way this works in Scripture. What is sinful fear then? The Scripture is replete with telling us what about fear? Not to fear anything other than what? God Himself. You you see those two commands all throughout Scripture. Fear not, but then what? Fear the Lord. People can cause us to fear. Circumstances. Any other created thing. So to be afraid of anything other than God Himself is considered a violation of God's will. God continually tells us, fear not, but fear Him. For example, Joshua 1.9. Remember God's words to Joshua. Have not I commanded you. Be strong and have a good courage. What does he say next? Be not afraid. Neither be dismayed. Why? Because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Or Isaiah 41.10. Fear not. Why? For I am with you. Be not dismayed. Or, Fear not, for I am with you. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So, sinful fear is to fear something other than God. Righteous fear, the only holy object of fear is the Lord Himself. In fact, the Word of God commands and commands our fear of the Lord. 1 Samuel 12.24 says this, listen, Only fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully with all of your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. The only kind of fear that the Lord can <clears throat> of the Lord, only the only kind of fear of the Lord <clears throat> that can become sinful, and let me let me qualify this a little bit. There's only one kind of fear of the Lord that can become sinful. And I think it's this if a if a true child of God never outgrows their terror and dread. Of God's judgment. Does that make sense? A true child of God who never outgrows their terror and dread of God's judgment, that can become a stronghold in someone's life. This would be to live in doubt of His love for you and His promises to you in Christ. The fear of the Lord and a child of God will eventually outgrow terror of the judge and grow into a loving reverence and awe for a holy father. You see the difference? We grow from one to the other. So I think this, the the concise answer of Scripture to our anxieties and fears is what? Fear the Lord, your God, and fear not, you fill in the blank. And those two have to stay together because you will always live in fear of something other than God until you fear the Lord, your God, more than anything else. And you could say it this way, if you are in awe of your Father, And you can be anxious for nothing. Our fear, the the magnitude of our fear of of something other than God is in direct proportion to our smallness of our fear and awe of God. Now that's basically the heart of what I want to work out in this series. How do we connect a great view of God with our anxieties and fears so that they would be overcome? How do we do that? Well, know the Lord. That's that's the basic principle. Know the Lord as He is revealed in creation and Scripture. The most important thing about a person is their thoughts of God. And every every sinful anxiety, every sinful fear that we have is a direct result of not knowing God as we ought to and having as great and grand a view of God as we ought to. You know, for someone who's an unbeliever here today, the fear of the Lord is a powerful and precious thing that you need to consider let the terror of the lord lead you to repentance and faith because we know from scripture that the lord is a holy and righteous judge he will not be bribed he will not overlook those who are not in christ will know god as a judge let the terror of the lord lead you to repentance and faith in christ so that you can be safe in him and loved as a child. And then as believers, we seek to live in awe of the Lord. His perfections. Live in awe of His loyal love for us in Christ so that His awesomeness overshadows and overcomes all other fears and anxieties. Think about it for a moment. Anxiety and fear are emotions that we experience When we feel threatened by the potential loss of something we value. Does that ring true to you? Think about it. Anxieties and fears are an emotion that we experience when we feel threatened by the potential loss of something that we value the loss of life, loss of possessions, loss of comfort. Because there's a situation forced upon us that we don't want, the loss of health, the loss of relationship, the loss of good feelings, you can fill in the blank. Every anxiety and fear is connected with some potential threat of something that we value being lost when there is the threat of losing something we have enjoyed or not having something we have anticipated enjoying or being forced into an unpleasant, unwanted experience that we didn't want, this is when we're tempted to feel anxious and fearful. So when that happens, what we must do is make the connection In our minds, by the Spirit of God, make the connection between our specific anxieties and fears and the specific perfections of the Lord that soundly answer and silence the anxieties and fears that come with the threat of loss. That's what we're going to do in this series. We're going to do that together over the few weeks and seek to answer our anxieties with the awe of God. And you know what? I want to say that this is extremely important that we all learn this. We need to learn this. Think about it. The outcome of failing to deal biblically with anxiety and fear is, is, is unthinkable. Let me just think of a few here. Anxiety and fear can hold us back, can hold you back from honoring our Heavenly Father for His greatness and goodness. We can make more of threats than we do of Him. Anxiety and fear can hold you back from enjoying His powerful loving and care as otherwise you would. It can hold you back from obedience to God and submission to His will. Think about it. How many many times has fear stopped you from proceeding in the will of God in some way? Anxiety and fear can hold you back from being used by God to influence others for the sake of Christ and enjoy godly relationships. How many of our relationships are controlled by a sense of fear and anxiety? How many times have you maybe held back from even confronting someone with the truth for fear of their response to you? I mean, you name it. Anything that might happen in a relationship that's a positive uh, place of spiritual growth, Fear can hold us back from those things. Anxiety fear can fear can give the evil one opportunity opportunity to tempt us to many other sins. And that's why Peter, of course, tells us as we cast our anxieties on him to do what? Resist the devil. Right. So let's look through some of these texts together. And let's start with a familiar one. Psalm 23 this morning. And this, this psalm actually addresses fear head on. And one of the greatest fears, maybe the greatest fear that the human being knows. What what would you say is the greatest fear that the human being knows? The fear of death, right? Look what it says, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what? I I will fear no evil. Again, the same words, why? Why shouldn't we fear evil? because you are with me, right? The reason David could say that is because he knew that the Lord was his shepherd. He knew knew what kind of shepherd the Lord is. That's important to know. Right? The details... What kind of shepherd is the Lord our God? So the reason you can overcome fear as a child of God, as a sheep of the great shepherd, is because you know the Lord is your shepherd and you know what kind of shepherd He is. So that's really what Psalm 23 answers. What kind of shepherd is the Lord? The main idea of this whole psalm is this. That's just the first phrase in the psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore, what? I shall not want. And there's seven aspects of the Lord's shepherding that help us to challenge and answer our own anxieties and fears. Number one, and you can follow in the outline that you have in the bulletin there. How does the Lord Yahweh shepherd his sheep? First of all, David says, number one, he feeds me. This is verses one and two. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Now, here's an important thing to notice. What we're going to do in this in this in this psalm is first of all look at the historic reality of the life of a sheep and a shepherd, because that's what David is doing. We've got to get some background here. Then we're going to take it and move it over to the relationship between the Lord and us, his sheep. Let's look at the analogy of the sheep and the shepherd. First, as we all know, sheep need to eat. Sheep need to eat. And a good shepherd will feed his sheep, of course. The psalm shows us sheep that are well fed. How do we know that? Because verse 2 says, He makes me what? Lie down in green pastures. Now, we don't have a whole lot of sheep. There's sheep on... On Highway uh, 2 going out, I've, I've noticed them on the left side. You've probably seen them out there. But around us, there, there are cows, more cows where we live. And you notice when the cows are full, what do they do? They lay down and they start ruminating, right? And they're chewing. So you have these sheep lying down in green pastures because they're full. Sheep never lie down when they're hungry. They stand to eat. They lie down when they're fed and full and ready to ruminate. But sheep also need to drink, of course. Sheep won't drink any water anywhere, though. Notice what the text says. He leads me beside what? Still waters. You see, sheep need quiet water to eat or to drink. And they're easily frightened animals, and fast-moving water spooks them. So what we have here in the first two verses is a shepherd who knows his sheep very well who provides for them just what they need to be well fed and well watered. This shepherd has found a place of feeding in the desert with plenty of green shoots of grass. Picture in your mind what David is writing about here. There there wouldn't have been any uh, rolling green hills where David was shepherding. There would have been sections of desert on which it had rained or uh, uh, slightly Or the moist air from the sea had brought some moisture to the ground. And so that would have caused shoots of green grass to sprout up around rocks and cracks. And that would have been enough for a daily feeding of sheep. This shepherd has found good food for his sheep in the desert. This shepherd has found a place of watering where the water is accessible to the sheep. And because this shepherd has found green pasture for his sheep the still water for his sheep to drink. He does this day after day for the entire life of each one of his sheep. The sheep have no lack. He's a good shepherd. Now, let's bring that analogy over to the relationship between the Lord and his people. Who is our shepherd? Yahweh, the Lord. And he's a good shepherd. In fact, when we look to the New Testament, we see Jesus is that shepherd. And And we see that He is the greatest of shepherds. And He feeds His people. The Lord feeds His sheep how? How does the New Testament, how does the Scriptures describe our provision from God, both physical and spiritual, doesn't it? The Word of God tells us the Lord meets His people's physical, temporal, earthly needs first. Matthew 6, 31-33, Listen. Jesus says, and we'll look at this text in detail in a few weeks, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Philippians 4, 19-20 My God shall supply what every need of yours according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Listen, beloved. Do you ever feel anxious or fearful about your earthly provisions to where it becomes distracting to you? And disturbing. And you cease trusting in the Lord. And seeking to do His will first and foremost. Anxiety over earthly provisions can do that. But listen. If you are the Lord's sheep, then the Lord is your shepherd. And you will not want. That's right. Meaning He'll provide to you what you need. You won't lack for anything that you need. This is important for us to remember during each season of life. The Lord's ability to shepherd His sheep physically is not frustrated in the slightest degree by any earthly situation. Do we realize that? You just look back at your Creator. Remember, your Shepherd is the Creator. You see, you've got to remember who God is as your Shepherd. He is the creator, the omnipotent, omnipresent, all-knowing creator. So it doesn't matter ultimately the situation that we find ourselves in in an earthly circumstance. There is nothing frustrating to God. He is sovereign over all things in the universe, not just in time, but in eternity. Has the Lord, think about this, has the Lord met your needs up to this point? You all look like you have enough. Right? The Lord will continue to meet your needs from now to the day you see Him face to face. He doesn't change. His promises don't change. He will continue to be your shepherd as He has been your shepherd. If you are His sheep, He's a faithful shepherd. But not only does the Lord meet His people's physical needs, as the Scripture says, but more importantly than that, He meets His people's spiritual, heavenly, eternal needs. He gives His sheep. You know what He gives His sheep to eat? The bread of life. You know what He gives His sheep to drink? Living water. Right? Isn't that what John tells us? What is the bread of life? John 6 teaches us that the bread of life is who? The Son of God, Jesus Christ. Incarnate. The God-man, Jesus Christ. How do we eat Him? You look at John 6, and Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have any part of me. Well, are we supposed to go and take a chunk out of Jesus' body? No, that's not what he was talking about. That's what Jesus said. The flesh profits nothing. The Spirit and the Word, that's the eternal food. John 6 is showing us that eating is a physical analogy for genuine faith. Did you hear that? Eating is a physical analogy for genuine faith. And it's a good one. You take food to live physically and you receive Jesus Christ to live spiritually. The Lord's sheep live spiritually by receiving Jesus Christ as their Savior and Master and resting in what He has done for them to make them right with God the Father. He lived to be their righteousness because perfection is required to have eternal life. And so He gives it by living that righteousness for them. He died to be their atonement because punishment is required for sin. God is a just judge. But Christ gives that atonement through His death on the cross. He rose to be their resurrection. Omnipotent, life-giving power is required to come out of the grave and live forever and to be brought to life spiritually, well, where does that come from other than Christ himself who spoke the worlds into existence? So everyone who mourns their own sinfulness and is willing to turn away from it and trust in Jesus Christ alone and not their own goodness will be saved from God's judgment and given everlasting life in God's love. That's the bread of life, Jesus Christ. To eat of him, you will live forever. You see how good a shepherd The Lord is. He gives us the bread of life. He gives us living water. John 6 teaches us that the living water is the Holy Spirit, the third person, the Trinity. Well, how do we drink Him? God the Father sends the Holy Spirit to live in the spirit of every one of His sheep. The very moment they believe the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says that we receive the Holy Spirit the moment we hear the gospel and believe in Him. And through the Holy Spirit, God the Father pours His own love and joy and peace and the fruit of the Spirit and the comfort of the Spirit into the heart of every one of His sheep so that they become satisfied in Him and His love. And because of the Holy Spirit, we can open up the Word of God, the Bible, and actually understand and be refreshed by God's truth and God's promises and God's goodness and grace revealed in the pages of the Bible as it tells us about our glorious God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is a realistic description of the spiritual life of the Lord's sheep. We eat Christ and we drink of the Spirit. That's life as a sheep. Receiving and resting in Jesus Christ the Son, depending upon and being comforted and controlled by the Holy Spirit, being absorbed in the Word of God, being changed by truth and refreshed by the promises of God in Jesus Christ. And that's why we can say, the Lord is my shepherd, what? I shall not want. He feeds me. He feeds me physically. He feeds me spiritually. But that's not all. He restores me. Do you see see how knowing God like this answers our anxieties? You wonder, will I have enough in this earth? Yes, because of your shepherd. Will I have enough to sustain my soul so that I can reach eternity with Him? Yes, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He restores me. Let's look at this first part of verse 3. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. Again, the analogy of the sheep and the shepherd. A sheep can, can become what we call cast. Maybe some of you know exactly what that word means, a cast sheep. A sheep can become cast when a sheep loses its balance. Because it's overweight, because there's too much wool, or because it walks into a, a dip in the ground or a ditch that causes it to fall over on its side and then it rolls over on its back. That's a cast sheep, a sheep with its legs up in the air. And and, and the way a sheep is is it, it can't get back on its feet typically by itself. It, it's it's top light in that position. And then gases begin to fill up in the rumen and circulation becomes cut off from its legs and the sheep is in a, a real fix when it's cast and they can't usually get out of that on their own. And in that position, a sheep becomes an easy prey for wolves and bears and so on, even birds of prey. I'm sure some of you have seen uh, how, how often a, an eagle can come and pick up a whole sheep and then drop it and then, and then eat it when it dies. And so for this reason, the shepherd is constantly counting his sheep. When a shepherd's count is short, that shepherd will look endlessly for the lost sheep who has become cast. Just like Jesus' illustration in Matthew 18, 12 and 13. He goes and searches for that one that is lost until he finds it. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And when he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Then the shepherd, when he finds his or her sheep cast, they will carry that sheep with them until the circulation is restored to their legs. And they may even massage the sheep's legs until the feeling and strength is restored. Only then will they let the sheep walk on its own again. And that's what's meant by the word restore. Restored sheep. Our translation typically reads, He restores my soul. But I want you to remember too that this word for soul on many occasions in the Old Testament, is translated also life. Life. When a shepherd restores the sheep from being cast, he's he's truly restoring the sheep's life. Saving the sheep's life. And the shepherd that restores his sheep is a good and faithful shepherd, and the sheep of that shepherd will not want. Now, let's bring the analogy over to the reality of the Lord and His people. Does the Lord restore the life of His people as well? Yes, He does, because He's a good shepherd. What does that mean? The Lord will not allow any of His true sheep to continue to go their own sinful way indefinitely. Did you hear that? He won't. The Lord will not allow any of His sheep, His true sheep to be eternally and ultimately destroyed by the consequences even of their own sin. The Lord will not allow any of His sheep to be eternally and ultimately destroyed by the evil one. The Lord will go after His sheep in their sin, find them in their mess, and restore them. Do you ever feel fearful that the evil one will have you? You ever feel fearful of your own depravity? That it will overcome you? If you are a true sheep, that is impossible. Because we have a good shepherd, a great shepherd. He restores my soul. You think about it. Did David know any of that kind of restoring? Oh, David got himself cast, didn't he? You know the stories. And how deeply he was distraught and overwhelmed by his own depravity. And yet, the songs that he wrote following that time, Psalm 32, Psalm 51, the Lord restored him. The Lord restored his soul. He will turn his sheep from their love of sin. He will give them repentance. He will assure them of his forgiveness and love. He will restore them in fellowship, He restores us from our rebellion, our sin, our shame, our brokenness, our emptiness, our spiritual danger. Think about it. Philippians one six: He who began a good work in you will what? Complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. First John one nine: If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the way it is between the Lord and His people when we go running after our own way instead of His way, when we try to be satisfied by created things, by things of earthly life, by things of this world instead of Him, if we are the Lord's sheep, we will certainly feel His discipline and His correction for our good. But He will restore us in that process. And believe me, the Lord has many times of restoring, has many means of restoring His wandering sheep. Many means. He will do it. He is powerful. Indeed, if you are the Lord's sheep, beloved, He will not let you stay cast forever. He will restore you. Know that. Consider that. If He started the work of salvation in you, He will finish it. He is a good shepherd. And there's a good reason for the shepherd to restore the sheep because He also purposes to lead us The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, because He he feeds me, He restores me. Thirdly, this morning, He leads me. The second part of verse 3, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Again, I hope... I hope you can capture all of these aspects of the Lord's shepherding and let it answer the anxieties that you would face in life for yourself, for others, the fears that would grip you. This is a good shepherd. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Let's look at the analogy of the sheep and the shepherd. First of all, a good shepherd is intent on leading his sheep in paths that are right for them. That means paths that are good for them, paths that are safe, paths that sustain life, paths that cause the sheep to thrive and grow well and become productive. Leading sheep in these paths will certainly bring a good reputation to the shepherd. You don't want your sheep looking scrawny and don't have any wool come harvest time. You want sheep that are well fed and taken care of and productive. The shepherd will be known for the health of his sheep. And the quality of their produce. And so it is the logic, it is just logical that the shepherd will want to lead his sheep into paths that bring honor to him as a shepherd. And secondly, notice that a good shepherd leads his sheep into those paths. He leads them in paths of righteousness for his namesake. When we, I should say this, different emphasis, notice that the good shepherd leads his sheep into those paths. When we uh, North Americans think of herding animals, we typically think of cattle. And cattle herders drive their cattle with, what, prods, whips, such equipment. Nowadays, there's, I know there's a lot of folks around here that, that they move their cattle, not with horses, but four-wheelers, and you know, that, that shoves them to where they need to go. But a Middle Eastern shepherd like David never drives his sheep. You know this. He always leads them. He leads them. He walks every path before them and he, with his voice, calls his sheep to follow his path. If you've ever seen this, it's an amazing thing. The shepherd will call, he'll talk to his sheep and they will follow him. And actually, another shepherd with a different voice, they won't follow. They know the voice of their shepherd and they will follow him. He always leads them. Every path, he walks down, calls them to follow him. And while he leads them, he calls them by his voice to follow him. That's how a sheep would know their shepherd. By the sound of his or her voice. Now bring the the analogy over to the reality of Christ or the Lord and his sheep. What's true for sheep and shepherds in the analogy is true for the Lord and his people. The Lord leads Every one of his people without fail. And throughout their lives, he leads them into paths that are good for them and paths that honor him. That's why it says, he leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake, his honor. The Lord providentially orchestrates everything about the daily lives, the daily paths of his people so that they may know him become like Him, bring Him glory. He leads His people into these right paths because that is what will nurture them to become what the Lord wants His people to become. The Lord leads every one of His people into paths of righteousness. In fact, the most common invitation given by our Lord in the Gospels was what? Follow Me. Every path of life into which the Lord calls us to follow Him He has walked before us, and He leads us to follow Him by His voice, by speaking to us now through Scriptures, through the Bible, through the Word of God. And so through His Word, the Lord calls all of His sheep, first of all, to follow Him into salvation from sin and away from the judgment that our sin deserves. That's the first place God calls His sheep, the Lord calls His sheep, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your soul. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Listen to how the Lord saves his sheep. First Peter two twenty four and 25. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now, what? You've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Then, only after the Lord has led His sheep into salvation, does the Lord call His sheep through His Word to follow Him into godliness, holy living, Christ-likeness. That's the path of righteousness that He leads us on. The path that He's walked before us. Romans eight twenty-eight 28-30, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. What's that purpose? To become conformed to the image of His Son. Those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. That right there is paths of righteousness for His namesake. Conformed to the image of His Son so that He would be number one among us. That's exactly it. That's the path that Christ leads us on. And those whom He predestined, He also called. Those whom He called, He also justified. Those whom He justified, He glorified. Listen to Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good. Why? That you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. It's the great shepherd who provides everything we need to walk in his will. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Listen, every path of life into which the Lord leads His sheep, His people is first for their salvation and then for their sanctification, their transformation into Christlikeness. This is one of the most glorious, freeing truths when you look at where God has you in life and the path you're going down and when you feel anxious and fearful about that life ahead of you. Here's something you can know for sure. Your shepherd is leading you in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Sometimes the trials and the pressures that would tempt you to be anxious and fearful are so heavy and so crushing, the only thing you can make sense of is this. You have a good shepherd. He is holding your hand and you're following Him. And really, that's all you need to know. You don't have to work out all the details when job was overwhelmed with what was going on in his life god didn't explain to him all the details and all the things that would happen because of the place where he was in all god did was say job this is who i am and that takes job's fears away see it's we don't have to understand everything we just have to know who our shepherd is and what kind of shepherding he does that's where we take that's how we answer our anxieties and fears we take all of those And we bring them back and say, shepherd, tell me who you are. Tell me how you shepherd me. And I'm following you by your grace. You will keep me. He feeds me. He restores me. He leads me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Well, let's stop here this morning. And before we we close or as we close, let me just say a final word Again, it comes full circle to where we began this message. Do you have anxieties and fears that grip you? Do you know what they are? Write them down. Isolate them. Identify them. And work on this practice by the grace of God. Take those anxieties and fears and answer them with the truth about who is your shepherd and how He shepherds you. And in each situation, each different anxiety and fear might have a different answer. Our God is a a glorious and infinite God full of, that's not even the right word, you can't say He's full of anything. He is glorious and infinite in attributes. That's what we have to apply to our anxieties and fears. And if you say, "I, I don't know, I don't know, I don't have yet the knowledge of Scripture or the knowledge of God yet to make those connections, to quiet and conquer my fears with the knowledge of God, then that's why we have a body around us. Reach out to someone who can help you with that. Because that is your pursuit in overcoming anxieties and fears. Too often, we respond to our anxieties and fears by saying no to things that feel threatening, even though they may be God's will or trying to control our circumstances, or trying to distract ourselves by worldly things so that we don't, we don't become consumed by those fears. All of those are deficient responses to anxiety and fear. What we need, when we fear, when we're anxious, when we, the, the, that's a wonderful opportunity to know God. That's how we overcome it. We overcome fear by knowing God. Fear not, fear not. God. If you don't remember anything else, remember that. Fear not, fear the Lord, and live in that awe and reverence for God, and connect those two so that your fears and anxieties are uh, conquered. Meditate on these Psalms. Meditate on the scriptures that we're going to be going through. Give your heart to it, and your anxiety can turn into a joyful peace when you know who is with you and what he can do. Before I pray, one more question. Here's the question you need to think about. Is the Lord your shepherd? Because if the Lord is not your shepherd, none of what we talked about this morning is for you. And really what you should fear, more than anything, is God himself. So is the Lord your shepherd? Is the Lord Jesus Christ your shepherd? Are you his sheep? That? How do I know? John 10, we won't get into all of it today, but John 10, Jesus says this, listen, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give to them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can pluck them out of my hand or the hand of my father. How do we become a sheep of Christ? How do we know? First, it's ultimately God's calling upon our lives. He knows us. He chooses us. And how do I know if I'm chosen and called? Well, then I hear His voice of truth through the Scriptures and I respond to it by following Him. So that's the question for you. Have you heard the gospel truth of salvation from the words of Christ? Do you know the way of salvation? And are you resting in the provisions of Christ? Have you trusted in His life to make you righteous? His death to remove your guilt and punishment. His resurrection to give you eternal life. Are you following Him with your life? Have you begun a life of repentance, turning from sin, turning from self-righteousness, and seeking Him with your whole heart? That's a work the Spirit does in you. That will be true for every one of the sheep of Jesus. And if you are a sheep, then everything I said this morning is true for you, and you will never perish. You cannot be taken. You can't even yourself get out of the hand of Christ. He will keep you. So I encourage you, if you're here this morning, you say, I don't know know if I'm a sheep. And what you're saying is starting to make sense, but I'm not sure it's mine. Don't leave today without knowing if that's what you want. Because you can be. If God is working in your heart, then the shepherd is calling you. And you can come and be his. Let's stand together and we'll pray this morning. Heavenly Father, as we begin this short series and speaking about anxiety, answering it in our fears, we pray that you would show yourself how great you are to us as we study these texts together. May we be amazed. May we be overwhelmed so that our fears will be set aside. Father, if there is someone here who you are calling to be your sheep, but has not yet heard the gospel rightly or responded to the message of salvation by Christ alone, please let them come and let them know you as shepherd. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.